Portions of this program may have been pre-recorded. The views expressed on the following program do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Is it his time? Turn all the lights on and kill the noise. The Biz 1440 presents the best two hours of economic news and commentary. It's the King Banyan Show, your source for penetrating economic insight, razor-sharp analysis, and unflinching universal thought. Oh, God, that's all I need. Everything you need to maintain clarity and stay ahead of the economic curve. Let's go while we're young. Now, here's Professor King Banyan. Welcome back, King Bean Show, the Biz 1440. Thank you for listening today. We'll get back to uh, discussing uh, the jobs report uh, and inflation. We're going to talk a little bit about inflation here uh, and want to relate that to our guest today. Um, Dean Clancy joins us. He is, I don't know your title, sir. There we go. Senior Health Policy Fellow at Americans for Prosperity. Uh, and uh, been has worked with Congress, the White House, and the healthcare industry. Uh, first time I've spoken to him, uh, Mr. Clancy. Good morning and welcome. Good morning. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Look, I've been, I've been spent the last hour talking about inflation, the jobs report, and so forth. We know that healthcare is something that is contributing to inflation right now. What are you seeing in that industry in terms of of uh, the rising of prices there, and and maybe some thoughts on what's causing it? Very broad question. Take that wherever you want to go. Sure, uh, medical inflation is high right now. In fact, it's chronically high, going back decades. It's uh, typically healthcare costs and and health insurance costs go up faster than general inflation. In the last couple of years, that's flipped and. General inflation has actually been higher than medical inflation, but now medical inflation has caught up. And uh, so this year, for example, with health insurance premiums, we're seeing uh, significant increases, 25% increases in premiums in uh, the individual purchase uh, market, so-called Obamacare plans. Uh, In the workplace uh, health benefits market, we're seeing 10% increases, and this Um, You know, premiums have doubled since uh, the Affordable Care Act was enacted in uh, 2010, and they they, they show no sign of this uh, upward increase stopping. And so it's really because of government uh, subsidies. The way the subsidies and the mandates uh, are structured, insurance companies have a huge incentive to drive up premiums continuously, that actually uh, rewards them because they get big taxpayer subsidies, hundreds of billions of dollars a year. In fact, the health insurance industry, now a majority of its profits, its money, its revenue, I should say, comes from the taxpayers. And that's all because of massive expansions of the Medicaid program and uh, Obamacare. Okay, so so. Talk me a little through the, you know, if, if if there is, I think the argument is in general, there is an inflationary bias in terms of health policy. Uh, and I, I've got to come back to that of what what's causing that. 
what causes that. And I think we're probably going to agree on that part. But talk me through what happened in 20 and 21. What caused inflation? Because the inflation rate in 20 over, you know, in the general economy was not very large. And even in the first part of 21, it was really the second half of 21 when inflation started to take off and we went through the battles with Team Transitory. Um what happened in those in in that in that sort of like that eighteen months between the start of the pandemic and late twenty one? Well, you had a lot of uh, money printing, stimulus checks, and um, you know, uh, basically the government increased the deficit significantly, and that all that uh, deficit spending gets monetized through the Federal Reserve, and it becomes inflation, and uh, it happened. Uh, because of the huge surge, there had been years and years of, of low interest rates from the Fed, which also tends to uh, drive inflation. And uh, all of that sort of converged. And then on the health care side, uh, Congress really opened up the floodgates of spending, increased uh, spending on uh, Medicaid and uh, uh, the Affordable Care Act subsidies especially. And all of that combined uh, just basically increased the money supply. And when that happens, prices go up. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm going to push you on this a little bit because I've been. Tr- I've had two different hypotheses stuck in my head. And I'm trying to. I'm trying to get your help in trying to sort whether one of them is wrong. One of, maybe both of them are wrong, Dean. I have no idea. Uh-huh. Uh, but but uh, one of them is the demand side piece that particularly for anything other than immediate treatment for a bad case of COVID. We didn't go to our medical providers for anything, and that actually had some impact on the prices in in medical services. I have heard people, particularly, particularly I'll say hospital administrators that I know, and I live in a community, a smaller community, where there is one massive health care provider. They are pretty much the only provider in our community. I'm not going to use the M word, but, but you can guess what the M word is. Um, and, 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 and so they're saying, well, yeah, there just wasn't any demand, uh, and, and so forth. Do you see any evidence of that nationally? Is that, does that story ring, but ring true to you? Well, certainly during the lockdowns, we were asked not to, uh, go through with scheduled medical appointments and to avoid, you know, anything that might be, sort of discretionary and, and just leave the uh, healthcare system uh, free to deal with emergencies and COVID. Um, th- but meanwhile, everybody was still paying, you know, uh, premiums <clears throat> into insurance. And so the uh, insurers were paying fewer claims. Right. Um, so, so, so de- demand went down uh, at the, at the medical treatment facility, the doctor's office, uh, but of course, that you created pent up demand. So you know, at some point, people started going back and, and dealing with things, and uh, that probably contributed to inflation and, and medical inflation. Uh, right. Go ahead. Yeah. No. That's so that you just said the piece that I was that you, you anticipated my question. Are we now seeing that pent up demand pushing prices back up? I think probably so. I don't know for sure, but it makes sense. Um, meanwhile, if in general inflation is high, that's going to affect the medical zone, you know, and vice versa. So doctor, basically everybody's increasing their prices right now to try to, you know, sort of uh, keep their head above water. And it's a, it's a spiral. Uh, at some point it plays itself out. 
and usually in some kind of, uh, you know, economic downturn. Uh, but I think it's still continuing now. Okay, so so that was my first hypothesis, and so let me uh, so let me set that aside. I'm just going to give you the second one. I I'm going to have to okay. somehow figure out if I'm right or wrong. I think I'm I think I'm more than half right about that one. But let, <laughs> let me go to the other one now. Um, I was talking before before you came on, uh, Dean Clancy, uh, visiting with us here on the King Banyan Show from uh, Americans for Prosperity. Dean, I was visiting with with some people last night. I was at a I was at a, actually at a folk concert. I looked around the room and I counted up how many people were retired. And I, I, what I didn't say in that segment was pretty much everybody in that community. I live in a community that's basically an Eds and Meds community. There's a, the, 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 the one health provider which hires over 10,000 people in a community that, that has 100,000 workers in it. And the university here that, that I work at, plus the one on the edge of town, the private and then the then the the K twelve district probably has about five to six thousand more. That's almost twenty percent of this community, right? And I looked wow, at that yeah. room, Dean, and I'm telling you, I could count. I think I could count on one hand the number of them that are still working in in education or in a health in healthcare. What is the imp- do you see that the are you seeing any evidence that there's a there's this excess retirement going on in the health industry and is that having an impact on the prices we're seeing well anecdotally, anecdotally yes um, we certainly know and have known for a long time about physician burnout uh, as healthcare has become more dominated by insurance companies and a bureaucracy, a lot of physicians have decided to retire early rather than put up with the hassle, and that probably decreases the supply of physicians. And in fact, you often hear people talk about a physician shortage, and that would certainly tend to to drive up uh, prices. Um, in education, I'm not as as knowledgeable. Uh, I do know that both healthcare and education tend to uh, have a lot of government involvement, and um, and, you know, at Americans for Prosperity, we tend to think that uh, the way to make uh, these things work better for people is to kind of, you know, scale back on the government uh, involvement and and let sort of patients and, you know, or consumers and suppliers get together in a free market. That's the best system. Yeah. I, 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 let me add one more piece to this. And I, and I'm gonna, I need to say this very carefully because I, I don't want anyone to think that I'm denying the 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 uh, usefulness or, or the efficacy of, of vaccines but we know that there were in the hospitals there were oftentimes vaccine mandates i this again is anecdote from my community but i know several i know several people who were nursing staff rns even if some a couple advanced practice nurses i know who uh, um or or nurse practitioners who who simply said, "I'm not going to abide by by a vaccine mandate. I don't think that I don't want that particular vaccine in me, and that's the only one that you're offering." So uh, and and right. so so some of them voluntarily stepped away. Some of them were were separated from from their healthcare systems uh, by the employer. Um, I guess the question then, Dean, is are, is that sort of a different side of government policy getting in the way and making healthcare more expensive? Yeah, I think it is. It's actually a, a great point. Uh, there was a great disruption, I think, in the economy and in, especially in the healthcare economy for the reasons that you described. People dropping out, stopping uh, their nursing career, 
because they didn't want to uh, go along with the mandate. At AFP, we, we opposed the, the mandates. We thought, uh, you know, it made people who want the vaccine should be able to get it. And, and we're glad the government delivered it rather quickly uh, because they removed, uh, you know, red tape and traditional barriers. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, of course, affects supply. Another factor in the rise in medical costs is consolidation of healthcare markets, local markets, where the hospital company buys up the physician practices, basically becomes like a monopoly, and uh, health insurers uh, buy up hospital companies and vice versa. And basically, uh, you get these very restrictive markets where they can maintain high prices. And then if you've got doctors and nurses quitting because they just don't like the the work-life balance and the and the stress and, you know, now government mandates, like you mentioned, it all just adds up to markets that aren't functioning. And that's why at uh, AFP we promote what we call a personal option approach to reforming healthcare, where we try to remove these barriers and uh, empower patients as consumers so that they can shop for value and drive prices down and, and quality up. All right, let's explore that. I need to, I need to uh, sell a few things, but, Dean, I want to explore that with you. I want to hear what AFP is doing in terms of thinking about how to, how to get choices to uh, consumers. Uh, we'll be right back. We're talking with Dean Clancy, uh, Senior Health Policy Fellow at the Americans for Prosperity, and you're listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Sightseeing in Ferris, at the Mall in Bloomington, or on horseback in Dallas. We're where you are. Listen to the Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Attention, if you owe money to the IRS, this is an urgent message. The IRS is cracking down by sending out heart-stopping letters, aggressively garnishing paychecks, seizing bank accounts, and putting liens on homes and businesses. They call it enforced compliance, and you better watch out because penalties and interest on unpaid taxes compound daily, making it seem impossible to ever get out of debt. Don't let the tax debt destroy your life. You need to call Optima Tax Relief, the number one tax resolution firm. They're experts in the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks that the IRS has ever offered. If you qualify, you could save thousands. Optima's resolved over $1 billion of tax debt for their clients. A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, they'll fight to get you the best deal possible. Call Optima now for a free consultation. Call 800-965-1433. 800-965-1433. 800-965-1433. Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. We noticed we had a leak in our roof. Hey, I'm Brenda from Stillwater, Minnesota. We noticed some water staining in our ceiling by our chimney. This is our first time working with JTR Roofing. A close friend had recommended them and had a great experience. They ended up replacing our roof and performed the work on our chimney. I would recommend JTR Roofing because they were reliable, friendly, there were no hidden costs in their quotes, and the craftsmanship was outstanding. Not only did they do an outstanding job on our home, but also they support the community. They've had a good reputation in the 30 years that they've been in business. And just overall, it was just a wonderful experience working with the company. 
I was absolutely satisfied with the work. Absolutely. We're thinking about having our windows replaced and we will be calling JTR. Go to JTRRoofingInc.com. That's JTRRoofingInc.com. Are you looking for a unique Christmas gift that will keep on giving? We've partnered with Twin Cities award-winning photographer Wayne Moran for a special half-price lesson offer. Wayne will teach you all you need to know to take better images. Better image. Regular price for this five-lesson package is $500, now just $250. Only five of these special offers are available, so call the station now at 651-289-4413. 651-289-4413. Thousands of young people are dying from counterfeit prescription drugs laced with lethal doses of fentanyl. Just one counterfeit pill laced with fentanyl can kill. Visit OnePillKilled.org to learn more. Welcome back, King Bane Show, the Biz 1440. Thank you for listening today. Uh, we are visiting uh, this segment with uh, Dean Clancy, Senior Health Policy Fellow. At the at Americans for Prosperity, uh, we've explored why uh, healthcare inflation has been going up rapidly. So let's get to the get to the more important question, at least to me, which is what can you do about it? I mean, it, it sometimes you know, as I mentioned, I live in a community that has one healthcare provider. I kind of feel like you know what they tell me it's going to cost, and what you know, I I have health insurance, like like many people. Uh, I also, by the way, Dean have. A health savings account, which which I think uh, which I think is something that you've promoted. I've read a column of yours in the past about that. Uh, what can we do to sort of control those costs? Well, it's a great question, and um, the answer is uh, at AFP we talk about a personal option approach. And in, in other words, instead of a government takeover of healthcare, which is essentially the direction we've been going in over many decades now. Let's, let's empower consumers so that they are the real uh, con, you know, um, controllers of this system. I mean, my line is in American healthcare, uh, the patient is not the customer. The patient is the product. The real customers right now are these big insurance companies, uh, hospital corporations, this sort of monopoly healthcare company that you mentioned in your area. And we need to, to get away from that. And the way is to empower the consumers. And then also we need to remove barriers between patients and care. We saw at the, in the beginning of the pandemic that there were these government-imposed barriers to telehealth and uh, to doctors and nurses uh, practicing across state lines and many things. And we had to remove those so that people could get care. Well, let's do that permanently. Uh, you mentioned HSAs. That's a great uh, tool for empowering patients because what it is, for those who don't know, is it's a tax-free account um, that basically you can use for medical expenses, out-of-pocket expenses, uh, and it's completely tax-free. The money going in, the money building up inside, and then, of course, the money that you spend on medical expenses. It's all tax-free. As a result, it's like giving you a double-digit percentage discount on every medical purchase. Now, why do people need that? Because today, the federal government gives a huge tax break to employers for providing workplace health benefits. But if you try to spend your own money out of pocket on insurance or on um, you know, out-of-pocket expenses, you don't get that tax break. And so as a result, 
healthcare uh, tends to uh, go through insurance. We over-insure ourselves. We need insurance, but we tend to over-rely, and that's part of what's been driving medical inflation. So right now, only 10% of Americans can have a tax-free health savings account because of barriers that have been imposed in, in federal law. And apparently, you're one of the lucky 10%, and that's fantastic. So why not um, let everybody, let every American have this tool that they can then use? And if they do that, they don't need to rely on insurance as much. I think we all need insurance protection, but maybe it could be a little bit more basic, not all the bells and whistles uh, that are kind of required or we're incentivized to get now. And um, and then on top of all of this, and I'm sorry to kind of uh, drone on, but uh, what if everybody also had access to what's called direct primary care? That's a new model where basically you just contract directly with doctors in your area, you know, the ones you want, and there's no insurance involved. There's no hidden fees or charges. It can be very affordable, like, you know, $80 a month for an adult, $10 a month for a child, and you kind of have 24-7 access and you also get great, like, referrals to, you know, imaging facilities, lab tests, and even very deep uh, discounts on prescription drugs because the, the doctors just contract directly with the pharmaceutical company. They cut out the insurance middleman. That's a great new model, direct care. Um, there are some barriers in some places. Let's remove those. So everybody has this. So my vision here on this is what if everybody had direct primary care, a good, basic, affordable health insurance plan, not too bloated, and a tax-free health savings account, they would have more choice and control, and I do think you would see prices coming down, quality going up, because the patient would be the customer. So I, I so here's the th- you just walked into uh, this little clip. I, I, I don't ha- actually I don't have the audio for this. I'm just going to have to read it. James Bailey is a professor of economics at Providence College up in Rhode Island. And um, he gave a talk, I think it was actually yesterday at Sacramento State. And, and he gave this as this preview of what he wanted to talk about. And I wanted to ask you a question about this because he does research on certificate of need laws, which I just find Right. I mean, I, I was a I'm a dean. I'm a former state legislator myself. I didn't even know what these were till I got to the state house, and then I'm like, right. why? Why on earth do we have these? And then, of course, the next thing that happens is my local, my local single healthcare provider for a big chunk of central Minnesota is like, oh no, 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 we need those. <laughs> uh, right. And I'm like, please tell me why. So anyway, let me read this to you and let you just, let you just riff on this. Uh, this is, this is James Bailey, a professor at, uh, at Providence College. In many key respects, U.S. health policy is about restricting the choices available to patients and healthcare providers, banning things the government doesn't want while mandating or subsidizing things they want. These restrictions on our autonomy are typically justified by the idea that they lead to superior health or economic outcomes. I'm going to just stop there, Dean, because what, do we have any evidence that they actually are leading to what they, I mean, do they actually promote superior health outcomes or, or economic outcomes? What do we mean by that? And, and is there any evidence that we get better health outcomes? Uh, no, all the evidence is the other way, and I totally agree with uh, that quotation. Um, you know, in our uh, polling and focus group work at AFP, we ask people, you know, what do you like and don't like about American health care? 
And what they tell us is um, they're not looking for a revolution. They don't want to throw it all out and have something different like a government system. But they, they do want to fix what's broken. And what's broken, in their view, is costs are too high. Uh, there's too much paperwork, hassle, uh, complication, inconvenience, and there's no price transparency. You you know, you go into the doctor's office and, you know, you try to ask them, how much will this cost? And they, they kind of shrug. They don't know. It depends on what your health plan negotiated. And um, so the patient has been removed from the center of the thing economically. Now, that said, we have a lot of good things about our health system. We, you know, we have great cancer survival rates and a lot of innovation. And really, in many ways, we have a fantastic health care system. But but the, the, the evidence does not suggest that all these government mandates and regulations are improving the quality of health care. Uh, I think it's just the just the opposite. And if I could just mention certificate of need, which you raised. Yes, please. You know, this is basically a, this is a rule that claims that we need to restrict the ability of new facilities to open or existing facilities to add new beds or wings or or MRI machines or what have you, because, you know, that we need that for protecting patient safety. But at the beginning of the pandemic, they suspended the certificate of need rules so that we could have enough capacity to deal with uh, the surge in cases. Well, <laughs> that was for patient safety. So which is it? And it turns out the real reason for these barriers like certificate of need is protectionism. They're just trying to protect existing hospitals from competition. And often they will have a board that decides to approve these CON applications and the incumbent hospitals sit on the board. So it's like uh, your local pizza hut gets to decide whether a Papa John's may open in your neighborhood. Yeah. So, so one last question is, I'm, I'm running out of time for you, with you today. Uh, we're talking with Dean Clancy from Americans for Prosperity, and I'm really in, enjoying the conversation. Uh, you also had mentioned in one of your earlier answers to me uh, about telemedicine, which, which you know, I live up, I'm sort of on the edge of what one might think of as any kind of urban region in, in uh, Minnesota. There's pretty much, yeah. there's very little between me and Fargo. Uh, and there and fairly small communities all the way to the Canadian border from here that are 250 300 miles to my north telemedicine has been a been something happening up there for for some time and we really freed that up do you see any i mean you're there talking with people in DC and around the country dean clancy do you see anyone taking the lesson from covid when we decided for for the sake of the of community health, we had to relax these issues, the, these concerns about certificates of need, telemedicine, uh, uh, practice across state lines. Or are we just going to snap back to the world we are in uh, in uh, on December thirty first, twenty nineteen? Yeah, great question. I think we're in danger of snapping back. There's sort of a natural inertia, uh, that, you know, a mindset that says, well, all of these relaxations of these government rules like the restrictions on telehealth those that that's the default that's the good rule and then we just sort of set it aside for the emergency our point at afp is no actually the good rule is to set aside the rule permanently so that people have more access to care and we've seen i think a revolution in way the way people think about telemedicine now they they've experienced it for the first time in many cases they realize that actually it's a great alternative it's not a 
replacement for, you know, an in-person visit or for, uh, you know, traditional ways. But it, it's it's really helpful. And by the way, it isn't just Zoom calls with your your doctor or your nurse. It can be remote monitoring, monitoring of your vital signs and, uh, you know, you providing information that they then look at later, sort of, you know, asynchronous uh, health care. And all of this is wonderful. And by the way, in the insurance-free models like direct primary care, telehealth is standard. They just do it because it's good health care and it's better for all parties involved. It's only in the insurance world where you have, and, and this includes government programs like Medicare and Medicaid, they, they, they're suspicious of things like uh, telehealth because basically it means doctors and patients get together more often and they think of that as you know, something that's going to hit their bottom line. And so that's why they impose the restrictions. I think um, I think it's going to be hard to put the genie back in the bottle on telehealth. I think too many people now have seen what a great thing it is. So I'm hopeful that we won't snap back on that. Yeah, from your lips. I hope that I, I hope it, it comes to pass. Uh, Dean Clancy, uh, senior health policy fellow at Americans for Prosperity. Dean, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate the information you're giving. Oh, my pleasure. All right, be well. And uh, we'll be back after this. You are listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late-inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school. Plus, all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the Minnesota State High School League and the Minnesota Interscholastic Activities Administrators Association. Wesley Financial Group is not a law firm. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare. And in the process, started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. If we take you as a client, I guarantee we'll cancel your timeshare or you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit. 800-626-5252. That's 800-626-5252. 800-626-5252. Jim and I knew of Robbinsdale Women's Center, but didn't really know them until we toured. We were astonished by the amazing facilities and the genuine love and care the staff showed each woman that walked through the doors. That tour began our partnership with Robbinsdale Women's Center. 
Cindy and I have witnessed RWC's fiscal stewardship of our financial gifts. Being on the board has allowed me to see the careful discernment and prayerful thought that goes into every decision at Robbinsdale Women's Center. RWC receives no government funding and is debt-free. RWC owns all their assets and is 100% donor-supported. We're amazed at the number of abortion-minded women they serve. Weekly, five women, initially at risk of aborting their pregnancies, instead choose life. Join Cindy and I in supporting Robbinsdale Women's Center. Your gift will bring hope and life. Go to rwcinfo.org and help more mothers choose life. Let's make a difference. rwcinfo.org. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. Thank you again to Dean Clancy from Americans for Prosperity for spending some time with us this morning. Um, good information uh, being given. And I did not know that HSAs were only in the 10% of the population. I actually end up in an argument with my wife about, it, about them because she says to me, well, we have to spend all the money. And I said, yeah. I said, do you really think that's going to be hard? And... She's like, yeah, but I don't want to be made to. And I, I have to admit, uh, there's been a year or two where I've actually stocked up my, uh, my, my, uh, my prescription meds just before I get to the end of the year, just so that I can do that. But it's just shifting it forward. At some point, at some point, it'll run out. I don't know. Anyway, um, I that that was one of those facts I did not know, uh, and has bothered me quite a bit. But it is true. We, we basically restrict demand and then we subsidize the supply not just of health care uh we do this in so many ways think about think about rules for accrediting higher education institutions like the one i work at we i don't think we would want uh i don't i don't think uh my employer my the the, the state necessarily wants a fully free market in higher education well guess what there is anyway uh there are barriers particularly for certain kinds of training but nonetheless it's a much freer market than the market for hospitals and for healthcare. but this is the same thing and think about how many other places where we see subsidized demand and restricted supply or in this case subsidizing the supply, raising the price of it, and then because you're worried about how much people are going to spend on, on it, how much consumption there's going to be of free health care, you, you, you limit it through mechanisms like, like your health plan saying you can only get a, get a physical once a year, right? Well, I mean, I, I've gone from near senior to senior citizen, Maybe I should get a physical more than once a year. Why wouldn't I have the ability to do that? Well, you'd have to pay for it. Well, that's true. But now we've got the issue of the fact that 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 things are so strangely paid for. Anyway, 651-289-4477 with your questions and comments. I would like to turn back now to the Jay Powell speech, if I could. We, we didn't quite get through all the various parts of it. Uh, and I believe we've now arrived at, I want to, I, I don't know which cut this is. I think this is either eight or nine. Is this nine, uh, Spencer? Eight? Okay. 
Round nine? Okay, sir. Uh, would you be so kind to play for me cut number nine? Some measures of wage, wage growth have ticked down recently, but the declines are very modest so far relative to earlier increases and still leave wage, wage growth well above levels consistent with 2% inflation over time. So he says, look, and, and then he says, I, I cut this part off. Uh, uh, you know, I, If you're right there, if you're still on that mark rather than advancing it, can you play the next two sentences? To be clear, strong wage growth is a good thing. But for wage growth to be sustainable, it needs to be consistent with 2% inflation. Okay, we can stop there. Great. Thank you. Right? <laughs> this is an argument that you're going to get from people, and this is part of the politics of anti-inflation policy. The Federal Reserve operates to control inflation by destroying demand, including the demand for labor. That reduces wage inflation. It also makes it more likely to end up with excess unemployment. It doesn't have to lead to excess unemployment, but in the normal way markets, I mean, theoretically, it doesn't have to, but in practice, it does. Uh, I, I mean, I can give you, I can, I can give you a story about why that doesn't have to happen, but, but let's be, let's be honest. It does. It always happens that you end up with higher, you end up with higher, uh, uh, Unemployment when the Fed engages in restrictive policy, um, but he's he's basically very clear here that yeah some of them are going to do they're very modest and then we know that what happened on Friday was we get a report that says in fact wage inflation on a year over year basis actually ticked back up a little bit now I want to be there are all kinds of reasons people are giving for that. I have one that I don't hear very much because I've talked, but I've talked about this several times in the past. Changes in the in the in wages is a function of which sectors of the economy are growing. When you have retail sales declining in your data, that means that you're pulling out some of the jobs because you only count up the wages of the jobs that exist that month. You're pulling out. Those jobs in the retail sector, which don't pay very well. And we saw an increase in, in, in IT employment, despite the fact that uh, Challenger Gray, which keeps track of, of uh, large uh, um, job, large firings, like the ones that face, or excuse me, excuse me, Meta, Twitter, so forth, all of those come up to about 80,000, which... Sounds like a whole lot till you realize that the that the number of people employed is 150 million, 160 million. So you're talking about 0 0.08 million out of a number that's 160. You can do the math. That's five tenths of one percent. That's just not that big a thing, but it can add. It can, but there was an ad in lots of other places in IT. While the you know the big, the big ones, the Amazon, the Google, the, the the Meta, the Twitter, those are in decline. Those are the ones that get all the attention. But there's a whole other uh, um, infrastructure going on underneath. So, so 
I think the wage number, that 5.1, might not mean what we think it means. It might mean wages are rising a little bit faster. I don't see how the Fed can pitch a case to say they haven't risen faster. And therefore, I thought that the the government would, uh, that the markets would lean toward the Fed perhaps tightening a little bit more. But in fact, they didn't. Yesterday's yesterday's stock market, after getting the vapors in the futures market right at the time of the announcement, because the announcement comes an hour before before the New York Stock Exchange opens, instead it got the vapors right away, but it bled off all of that decline by the end of the by the end of the, by the end of the day. It recovered that and even a little bit more. So that's what happened there. Let's play this one. I think this is the last cut we have of, of Jay Powell. It's cut 10. Thus, it makes sense to moderate the pace of our rate increases as we approach the level of restraint that will be sufficient to bring inflation down. The time for moderating the pace of rate increases may come as soon as the December meeting. Given our, price, our progress in tightening policy, the timing of that moderation is far less significant than the questions of how much further we will need to raise rates to control inflation and the length of time it will be necessary to hold policy at a restrictive level. It is likely that restoring price stability will require holding policy at a restrictive level for some time. History cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. And I'll close by saying that we will stay the course until the job is done. Thank you. That so that's the end of the speech, and he was he says, okay, we might go from seventy five to fifty at the December meeting, which everyone's taken to being they are going from seventy five to fifty at the December meeting. I don't particularly have a problem with that, but when you have wage inflation above five percent, when you have PCE inflation at five percent, core PCE inflation at five percent, it is beyond nuts for me to think that you're going to stop raising the Fed funds rate before 5%. A 50 basis point rise takes us to a takes us to a range of four four and a quarter to four and a half. I would not be surprised if the market in two weeks or in two Wednesdays from now gets the vapors over the fact that the that the Fed's going to say, hey, yeah, we went from 75 to 50. And it's very possible we're going to go to 50, 50 next time in Jan- in February, because the next meeting after December would be the first week of would be the first week of uh, February. It's possible that they would do that. The way we will know will be when the Fed gives us the uh, SEP. So they'll do their next set of forecasts. They're writing them down now. They're bringing them to the meeting in in ten days from now. And and we'll see that in two Wednesdays. And that's when I think the market's going to look and go, oh, wait, they think the rate's going to go above 5%? Why would they do that? They would do that because wage inflation is above 5%. That's why. We'll be back with some final comments after this. You are listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Schools are crying, too. They can't do the job they want to do. The Biz 1440, KYCR Golden Valley. 
Dr. Gorka here, and I want to talk to you for a minute about the 100% drug-free relief factor. We all deal with aches and pains in our day-to-day lives, and I have had my fair share, including injuries like a detached quad muscle that, I can tell you, fell into the category of really bad pain. But I've been able to manage the pain by taking relief factor. It helps your own body to attack and fight off sources of inflammation, the source of most of our aches and pains, and I've loved it for years now. Almost 70% of the more than half a million people who have tried Relief Factor end up ordering more. That's because it works for them the way it worked for me. Isn't it time for you to get out of pain? Your first step to becoming pain-free should be to order the three-week quick starter pack for the discounted price of only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com, call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. Feel the difference. Hey, everybody, it's Charlie Kirk here. There's a war for our country's soul that is waging right now. And we here at TPUSA Faith are ready to equip and encourage Christians around this nation to stand for biblical truth and to turn the tide of our nation. As we approach the end of 2022, I want to let you know about an opportunity. A generous friend has stepped up to offer $75,000 match. That means your year-end gift to TPUSA Faith will be doubled dollar for dollar, Meeting this match in full will enable TPUSA Faith to finish this year on strong financial footing, ready to advance the biblical values of faith and freedom in 2023. Would you help defend faith and freedom now with a tax-deductible donation to TPUSA Faith? When you do, your gift will help generations of Americans to defend their freedoms and shine the light of Christ into our increasingly dark nation. Thank you, friends, for your partnership in standing firm for the soul of our great nation. Get that Rack Shack Attack, Rack Shack Barbecue. Pick it up or take it out, rackshacktogo.com or com. It's so easy. Hey, you've been working hard. Half the staff is gone and your crew needs a lift. Go to rackshacktogo.com for pickup or rackshackdelivery.com and we'll bring it out to you. It's America's food and the right thing to do. Get that Rack Shack Attack, Rack Shack Barbecue. Hi, I'm Anthony Commerce with Commerce Water. Let us build you a long-lasting, high-efficiency water softener. If you contact us now, you'll get $400 off our new wet technology water softener. Do it right the first time. Contact Commerce.com. Salmon fishing in Alaska at an amusement park in Green Bay or taking a stroll through Loring Park. We're where you are. Listen to the Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Welcome back, King Daniel Show, the Biz fourteen forty. Thank you for listening today. We really appreciate it. Um, um, thank you for choosing us over uh, the, the the soccer slash football match, um, which probably is coming to an end. I would guess uh, by by about now. I have not looked at the score, so. Uh, so I'm not, and I'm not going to talk about it on the air. I just know that it's happening right now. Um, I'll check the score later. Um, I, someone said, do you root for it? I said, no, not until Armenia gets into the world cup. Then I'll, then I'll, then I'll root for it. Um, but until then, no, um, (laughs) my, my producer says no point to check. I'm not going to, I'm just not. So, um, 
Okay. Uh, so anyway, I I wanted to make sure I got this. I want to get this one point across. I wanted to talk about this because um, there's been a lot of publication about job losses and and therefore some wondering how could it be that that we ended up with an unemployment rate the same as it was before, 3.7%. Well, one focus, of course, is fewer people are participating in the labor force. The unemployment rate divides the number of people who are who are unemployed into the labor force, which is either you are employed or you are unemployed actively looking for work. The point here is that the point here is that right now between the months of March and now for eight months April and now eight, eight months running the number of people who are unemployed have been about six million give or take a hundred thousand it has just been in that very narrow band while the number of the the number of people over age 16 in the country has grown by about one and a quarter million people so what happens so some of them are going to go into the workforce and it's how we get these increases of 300 400 500,000 but we also see but we also see the fact that we have that that number is staying constant means that and, and the fact that we had a 1.3 million increase in number of people working means that we've pulled down the unemployment rate, so that we're now at this three and a half to three seven. The number of people who are not in the workforce are not there. And as we played in the Jay Powell speech, right, that is a combination of both having lower population growth, which includes the fact that we have less net immigration into the country, um, and excess retirements that can be for a number of reasons but are supported by the fact that that higher weight higher stock markets uh and, and and higher housing prices and all of the asset inflation that we've seen over the last 18 months to 18 to 24 months has led to people thinking they can retire and that they'll be okay those folks that I was seeing at the folk at the folk music society last night um, they think they're fine. I, I, I People ask me, they say, I, you know, they say, when are you going to retire? I said, I have the best retirement plan of all. I'm going to stay healthy and keep working. Okay, that's my focus, is keep yourself healthy, keep yourself on the job. Then you never have to think about whether you got enough to retire on because you still have lots of income coming in. I'm blessed that I have a job that pays pretty a pretty decent wage. I, there are jobs. There are jobs that I can think of that if I had that, I'd have retired already. But no, I have a job I love. So why wouldn't I? But I wanted to point out this one piece here, that, and I thought this was interesting. Chall- the Challenger Gray lab- labor report on tech says the tech sector announced fifty-two thousand seven hundred seventy-one cut job cuts in November. It has eighty thousand nine seventy-eight for this year. This is, uh, reading, reading from the report, this is the highest monthly total for the sector since the firm began keeping detailed in- industry data in 2000, the highest year-to-date total for the sector since 2002. Okay, and everyone remembers the, 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 the burst of the tech bubble back then. Back then, it was 128,563 tech sector jobs cut, 131,294 for the year. 
And this is more than five times the amount of cuts announced for the same period in 2021. That is part of that weird rotation of the economy that we see happening right now. Going from goods to services and going from a retail-oriented area and even a social media-oriented area into something where what people, maybe what people are desiring is going to restaurants more, going to, going out to, going out to uh, see shows. Like, you know, I met the folk music thing last night. So everybody's older. Okay. There were a lot of people wearing masks. Um, most of them are retired. Most of them are out of the education and health field. And, and I hesitate to say this, but I will. I will say it. I just observed my wife last night. I said, it's a pretty good chance I'm the most conservative person in the room. And I'm not the most conservative person on this radio program or this radio station. But I'm pretty sure I was the most conservative person in that room. And there's just a lot of that feel out there right now that people are coming back, but cautiously. And when people say, is there a recession happening? I'm saying, yeah, but it's not like any recession you've ever seen before. Have you ever seen someone say that there's a recession when the unemployment rate's below 4% before? No, I haven't. You haven't. But that's where we are right now. And so we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, I, like I said, I'm finishing our our local quarterly business report. Uh, and I've got survey results. Oh, my gosh, they are quite fascinating. And I would be happy to share those with you uh, next week. Um, I am um, I'm happy to do that. And I'll be here. And I believe... I believe Spencer will be here as well, and I hope you'll be here as well with the King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines... We take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. Okay, we are running a car drive right now to help veterans all across America. So if you have an old car, truck, or van, even a motorcycle or an RV sitting around, you can right now give it away and help the vets. They really need your help. And your car will help support the vets and their families. And guess what? You even get a tax donation. Plus, we'll even come and pick up your car for free. And all you've got to do is pick up your phone right now and make a free call. Now is the perfect time 
time to do something good for the vets. Give back to the vets right now for all they've done for this country. And your old car can really help them. So call the Veterans Car Donation Program right now for free pickup of your vehicle. Help the vets and help your taxes at the same time. Call right now. Airmen. Even as technology evolves and changes, our commitment to defend and protect this nation remains steadfast. We celebrate those who have served and those who are proudly serving. We celebrate our proud history and look towards an exciting and uniting future. Our mission is to fly, fight, and win in air, space, and cyberspace. And I am proud to be a member. And I'm proud to serve in the United States. And I am proud to protect our country. Proud to serve in the U.S. Air Force Reserve. AFreserve.com. Your exclusive Twin Cities 